Good morning, my name is Chad Lewis. I'm a pastor here, and we're continuing our journey through Matthew, and we are been in the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks now, and we're getting to a passage that is all about prayer, and I want to tell you a little story from my youth. I had moved from small town Oklahoma to big city Memphis, and socially anxious, hated school, and so I was 11, then 12 years old, and I found a love to escape to, and my love was basketball. I wasn't tall back then. I think I just willed myself to be 6'4 eventually because of my love for basketball. But I was 12 year old playing in a church league game. We got to the end of the season and it was a playoff game. And it was if you lose, your season's over. And this was what I, I, I thought about all the time. I dreamed about it all the time as basketball, basketball, basketball. And here I was, a 12 year old. We got to uh, halftime and we were down by 15. And remember, it's lose, you're done. So I walked into the locker room, which was probably just a bathroom. It looked big to me. But I looked in the mirror, and I just saw distress on my face. And I prayed a real sincere but simple prayer. I said, Lord, please help us win this game. And if you help us win this game, I will never ask to win another game for the rest of my life. Sincere prayer. Went out. We threw a little press on. Whittled down 15 to 13 to 9, got down to the last minute, less than 30 seconds left. We're down by 3, 86, no three-point lines in church gyms. That's just the way it was, so no threes were there. So we got the ball, scored, and we're down by one. Just a few ticks on the clock left. All they have to do is inbound the ball, and they win the game. And so we're there, got the court, full court press on. Uh, had visions of Larry Bird still in the ball against the Detroit Pistons, kicking it to Dennis Johnson for a layup to beat the, beat the bad boys back in the 80s. That's a basketball reference. And um, so here, they're inbounding the ball. So I cut, lur- just lurch, whatever it was. I just went towards the ball. I stole the ball. Clock's ticking down. I look up to pass. Nobody's open. So what do you do? you just not even good form for 12. You never say, never fade away as a 12-year-old. Go straight up. But that's what I did. Fade away, shot. What do you think happened? Y'all are a little more encouraging than the first there. Someone said, air ball. And I was like, no, it went in. It went in. We won the game. Won the game. The next week, came back. Game number two in the tournament. We lost. And I didn't pray the prayer, because I couldn't. I said, I'd never ask again. <laughs> Sincere prayer of a 12-year-old. Now, I played 20 more years of basketball leagues. I used to be a ringer. Old men would get me on their teams to come play, just because they wanted someone tall to rebound their missed three-point shots. But I never, I never again prayed that God would help me win a game. Now, you can analyze that prayer a lot of theological ramifications. Does God care about sports? Does he influence games? It's like, I don't know, but I know that he cared for this 12-year-old. I prayed we won the game. Fine prayer for a 12-year-old. But I was thinking about, I'm about to turn 45 in a week and a half. What if those were still my prayers today? And the foundation of that prayer is what I want to look at as we look at this passage today. Because somewhere in my mind, the vision I had for God, the view I had for God, was that he was a transactional God. It was, prayer was if-then statements. Lord, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. And so a lot of my prayers all throughout, and even 
I can switch back and find myself catching those prayers going through my mind and heart even in these days, even though I have a better view of the kingdom and a better theological foundation now. And the rubber hits the road, like when you get a virus or something, you're throwing up and you're like, Lord, if you will keep me from throwing up again, I will be a missionary in Africa, whatever you want. Just don't let me throw up again. But as we're looking at the, the kingdom of God, as we're looking at prayer and we're thinking about how should we pray, and we see something like this, it seems like such a simple passage. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. It will be found. It will be open to you. And we get to that and we say, I believe that, kind of. And then life experience teaches us over and over again as we ask for things and they aren't given to us. We seek and we seem to not find and we knock and it seems like the door is just closed. What do we do? What do we do? So the, the simple outline I have for you today in your notes is what, how, and why. What should we ask? How should we ask? And why should we ask? And in parentheses for the, the first point, I just have Matthew 5 through 7 for the what aspect because the question of what is answered a lot within Matthew 5 through 7. And when we think about biblical interpretation, looking at the scriptures, one of the first rules of biblical interpretation is context, context, context. You look at the context of the passage, who's being spoken to, where are they speaking, what does the author mean, all those different things. And we all have run into proof texters before, and proof texting is a, a negative uh, concept where someone goes to a passage and they have a preconceived notion or belief or bias, and they say, oh, this is what I believe. Oh, here's a verse that fits that. And they just rip it out of context and run over here and say, hey, and that's how a lot of cults are formed. Actually, all cults that use the scriptures and false teaching like that. And one example I thought about this week was someone who's uh, just about faith and prosperity. And they say, God will give you anything you ask for. It says it right there, Matthew 7, 7. I drive a new car every year. God wants everyone to have new cars. Ask and you'll receive. You asked? You didn't receive, you didn't have faith. And it's like, man, okay, I don't think that's what that's teaching there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things, I can dunk. I used to could, I can't anymore. I guess he could levitate me, but that's, that's just not, not what's going on with these passages. Paul's talking specifically about enduring suffering and hardships in that passage when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when we think about this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is teaching, we want to say what, he's, what he is teaching is influenced by who he's teaching to. He's not just walking the streets of Jerusalem going, hey, everybody, ask anything from God and you'll receive it. Hey, pagan, over there, hey, ask, you'll receive. He's, he's not talking to everybody. He's on the mountainside, he's talking to his disciples. Remember, these disciples are the ones who've repented They've turned from their old ways, and they're trying to learn from Jesus. They're apprenticing themselves to Jesus, just saying, Jesus, teach us how to live. Teach us what is important. Teach us about the Father. And he's teaching them over and over again. And I thought about this, this passage and just thinking about being on that mountainside, hearing Jesus, hearing about these radical new ways, this radical life, and the promises that are attached to these radical commands, these radical invitations. And I just imagined what the disciples must be feeling at that moment. And we know one of the emotions that is going through them is awe. 
Matthew 7, at the very end, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. They're astonished at his teaching. For he's teaching them as one who had authority and not as their own scribes. So they know, we know they're in awe. They're like, who is this? We've never heard words like this. The teachers, the best teachers in the land, our pastors, they don't talk like this. There's a passion. There's a fervor. There's life in this man. And I can also imagine, even though it doesn't say in the text, is that one of the emotions in the disciples is probably bewilderment and shock. Like, what? Poor in spirit? I think I can get that. I know I'm in need. Be merciful to all? Okay. Pure in heart? I know not to lust externally, but you say don't lust in my heart or it's like adultery. Don't be angry. I, I, I can't get this. Be more righteous than the Pharisees? They're our pastors. How do I do that? Love my enemies. Be light and salt to the world. Don't be consumed by worldly things. Don't be anxious for any. It's like, okay, time out. I can't do this. And Jesus, the wonderful Jesus, beautiful Jesus, gives us the key to living the Christian life. He says, all these things, you can't do them on your own. It's not possible. It's impossible in and of your own strength. So therefore, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. All of this is within the context of kingdom life. And when we think about even last week, the wonderful message Jonathan Pennington brought to us about being judgmental and not being judgmental, and also about discernment. It's like you can get to the end of that sermon. A proper response for prayer would be seeking the Father's face and saying, Lord, I'm being judgmental. I have anger and bitterness in my heart, and I want to be discerning, and I want to speak the truth, but Lord, the love that you have for me is not in those conversations that I have. I, I just, I pray that you would uproot the things in my life that are causing this bitterness and this angst, because I want to be like you. And that's a beautiful prayer that flows from the context of Matthew 5 through 7. And we also see, as, as Kevin preached a few weeks ago on the Lord's Prayer, that what refocuses our prayer, it doesn't start with me, 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 me. And, and that can be a great place to, I don't want to hinder your prayer life. Pray, Kevin says it like this, prayer, all prayer is like exercise. Some exercise better than some exercise, but at least do something. Like, so let's, let's pray. But so often our, our prayers are just so self-focused, and we do want to pray for ourselves. We want to pray for those in our community, but we want to start with a bigger vision. Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be made great. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life, in our community's life, on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom shine forth, Lord. Push forth your light and let the darkness flee. I was thinking about even just breaking between sermons. If you've ever been in a cave where it's pitch dark and, and someone has a lighter, that little bitty lighter, a little match, pushes back the darkness. The smallest amount of light. And that's what we are called to be in this dark world. But it goes personal, the Lord's Prayer. After we remember whose we are, who we're a part of, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, take care of our needs, the food, the provision. Lord, I, I don't know about making mortgage next month, whatever it may be. Lord, I'm having these struggles at work, and I want to be a light.
but I want to be able to stand up for myself, whatever it may be. Forgive us as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And also, Lord, I'm weak. Lead me not into the trials and temptations. Lord, deliver me from evil. That prayer is filled with asking. It's asking all around. And that asking is a communion with God. And we see it in Genesis 1 and 2 from the very beginning that there was a participation that was an invitation to life with God, with Adam and Eve, to name the animals, to do all these things. And that is what Jesus is restoring after the fall that's broken. And he's reversing the curse and he's saying, come, commune. And this communion is based on a relationship, a dialogue between us and the King of Kings, our living triune God, where we ask, where we seek, and we knock. Remember some years ago, reading uh, Psalm 27, 8, and David says, Lord, you said, seek your face. And my heart said, your face I will seek. That that is the invitation that our God says, seek me, seek me. So what do we seek? Well, it's all within the confines of this dependent, humble relationship, a child with his parent. And this leads me to my next point. How should we ask? What should we ask? How should we ask? Well, verses 7 and 8 again. It's an amazing promise. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In the moment, we want to look at the growing progression of that asking, seeking, and knocking. But the promise, it will be, sometimes immediately, oftentimes in the long term. And we were thinking about this, uh, having small children. My children are out of the toddler phase, but you know, having a toddler or a four or five-year-old, you watch them around, they, they're pretty bold in asking. And they just come up and say, Dad, I'd like something to eat. Okay, let's, let's get you something to eat. And I thought about how bizarre it would be if a five-year-old comes down after a night of sleep, you're just sitting at the kitchen table, and they have a notepad, and this five-year-old comes to you and goes, all right, Dad, today I'm going to need three meals. And I calculated I need to stay the night in this house again tonight because it's not safe out there. And I also need some clothes. And they just go through their basic needs. And then they say at the end of that conversation, if you do this for me, then this is what I'll do for you. I will shine your shoes. I will mow the lawn, though it's probably too dangerous for me since I'm just five. And, you know, they just go down the list. That's not a natural child-to-parent relationship. It's not transactional. It's not like, child, if you meet my needs, I'll meet your needs. The parent says, no, I'll meet your needs because I'm your parent because I love you. I brought you into this world. I care for you. That's how it is with God. Early in our Christian lives, uh, you may remember being a young Christian. Some of you may be young Christians. That There's sometimes a fire in you, and you just ask for things boldly. And then coincidences happen. And it's like, man, God's answering prayer. This is easy. And then older Christians are like, just wait. Just wait. And there's some truth to that. There isn't there. Because sometimes you're like the 12-year-old. You're just going, and it's like, hit the shot. I'll never lose a basketball game again. Next week, you're like, oh, tournament's over for us. 
maybe next season. But sometimes it's like, man, we ask. And it's like, it seems like the prayers are falling back down on us. And we seek, and it's like, I can't see anything. I don't know where to go. And we, we knock. It's like, there's no one answering. So what do we do? And thinking again about last week, you say you, you were convicted about judging, and you go and you pray this week. You're like, Lord, help me not be judgmental. Help me not be bitter. And you pray that a few times, and then you find yourself this week being more judgmental than ever. And you're like, well, I asked, didn't receive. I'm done. Is that where we stop? No, there's a progression here. We ask and we don't receive, or we don't receive what we think we should in, in the manner that we think we should receive. And we say, no, I'm going to seek. I'm going to seek God's word. I'm going to seek his community. Seek his face. Lord, is, are there things in me that I need to see purged from me, that I need to uproot, that you, you need to uproot from my life so that these things aren't so profound in me? And when the door seems to be closed, we knock. Just like a, a, a young child who looks around and it's like, I'm hungry. And they're like, they're coming to ask, but they can't find their parent. And they're walking through the house and they're seeking you. And then you're in the bathroom and they're like, I need some cereal, dad. And I'm like, I'm in the bathroom. Just wait just a little bit longer. But they don't stop. There's a tenacity. There's a, a doubling down to say, I will continue. And Jesus, even in this, this promise, he's saying, I'm ripping away every barrier that you have to commune with God. And he's marching to the cross to just tear the temple curtain from top to bottom to get rid of any encumbrance that we boldly come before the throne of grace as a child runs into their parents' lap. We see in Luke 18 the persistent widow parable. So keep going, keep going, keep going. God is good. And then sometimes it feels like God's playing hard to get. There's a, a song by Rich Mullins in the last year of his death. He was a he wrote to me, and um, he, he wrote this song, recorded on a little cassette player, never got to record it in the studio. But in the song, you can, you can uh, listen to the lyrics, read the lyrics. He, he's just like, Lord, do you remember? Do you remember what it's like to be on earth? Do you remember the darkness, the loneliness? And he, he makes a point in the song at one point. He says, I know I'm lashing out at the one who loves me most, and that you do hear me and you do know me. But Lord, you're just, you're hard to get. I don't understand, but I'll trust. And we acknowledge with the prophets that, Lord, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways and your thoughts. And I don't understand, but I'll trust. Help me to trust. There's a second aspect we want to look at when we're not receiving, that we want to just look and seek out community as well. And James, the brother of Jesus, is intricately aware of Jesus' teaching. He's a pastor's pastor. We preached through James a year ago. And James says, in a way of rebuke to these Christians in, in Jerusalem, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then he goes a step further. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people is what he ends up saying. He, He's saying, you don't get anything because you're not asking. Remember, Jesus says, ask. And those of you who are asking, you're not getting it because God's not going to give you things that are going to hurt you. And I do acknowledge there are times where God gives us what we ask for, just even to show us that we don't really want it. 
that we don't really need it. And that's in his kindness and goodness. But let's remember as we hear over and over again, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, to turn from our ways to him. And I, you can imagine if, if your kids came up to you and said, hey, dad, I saw a Marlboro man in an old magazine, and I want to look cool like that because I want to be a cowboy. Will you buy me a pack of cigarettes? And it's like, hey, you're eight years old. No, no. Why would I give you something that's going to hurt you? Why would I give you something that's going to pull you away from me? I'm not going to do that. Prayer is the pursuit of the kingdom. Our prayers are the cry of the kingdom. And this daily communion with God is what we're called to. Uh, one pastor philosopher writes it like this. is from Dallas Willard's uh, Divine Conspiracy. Just his words on prayer captured me this week. He says, Accordingly, I believe the most adequate description of prayer is simply talking to God about what we are doing together. Remember this communion aspect. That immediately focuses the activity where we are, but at the same time drives the egotism out of it. Requests will naturally be made in the course of this conversational walk. Prayer is a matter of explicitly sharing with God my concerns about what he too is concerned about in my life. He cares about the intimate details of our lives. He cares. And of course he is concerned about my concerns, and in particular that my concerns should coincide with his. This is our walk together. Out of it I pray. So when I wake in the mornings, Lord, guide me today. You're my shepherd. You give me all that I need. I don't feel like I have all that I need, but you give it. Help me to walk. Spirit, fill me. Help me keep in step with you. And as you're walking, you're paying attention, being reminded. I was reminded this week as a friend was talking to me about redbirds. My mom grew up saying that uh, cardinals are the exclamation point in creation that God gives us to, gives cardinals to us. And so in our backyard, sometimes it's like a bird atrium. They're just going all over the place. And it's like, redbird, redbird. God has me. He cares for the birds. He cares for me. He will provide. So you keep on walking. It's like, Lord, I'm so angry right now. Lord, help me in this. And we reach out for help. We reach out for community. And in the midst of all this, we, we pray. We talk with God. And so often, I think this is a fine prayer when we say, Lord, deliver me. The Psalms are filled with that. But maybe we can add something to that. Lord, deliver me. And Lord, develop me. Make me the kind of person who will see the kingdom advance in their lives and in their small corner of their lives. And um, it's where I have a, a personal illustration uh, from new stuff that's going on in my life and, and struggles with illness. And some of you are aware, 11 years ago, I was uh, diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. I had three different bouts of, of 103 fevers, be in bed for seven days, wake up, and each time... I got up from those bouts of fevers. I was a little weaker. And so for the last uh, 11 years, I've struggled with major fatigue every day. And so did that for 10 years, whittled down life to work and family, doing the best I could. And in this last year, it just it hasn't been enough. It was like, man, whatever I did in those first 10 years isn't going to work. I remember sitting with some dear brothers, some elders, and it just, I just saying it with... Uh, 
with sincerity. It's like, man, I don't, I don't think I can keep doing this if, if this is how bad I feel. And so providentially, the Lord, uh, through some relationships, led us uh, as a family to go to a new doctor. And they took uh, 49 vials of blood from one prick in one sitting. It took like 30 minutes. And I was like, hey, can you do 50 vials just so I can get to the next thing? And they just took 49 uh, but they, they ran a lot of tests and different things, but for the first time, there's a conclusive uh, result showing what's been a matter with my body for so many years, and I have heavy metal toxicity. And so for 11 years plus, uh, I've had uh, my, my body stored these heavy metals, and it's wreaked havoc, but it's lead, aluminum, arsenic, barium, cadmium, gallium, nickel, rubidium, Tin, tungsten, a couple others. And I've got some good jokes coming once I start feeling better. Uh, about with nickel. In the 90s, I was exposed to Nickelback, the band. And major poisoning to my soul. But you can't give the nickel back once you listen to Nickelback. I didn't say they're funny. I just said they were jokes. All right, so... I get the diagnosis first time in a decade, and just even thinking through, it's like, man, my, my kids have never had an energized dad, and it, it breaks my heart. Like, I'm with them, I hang out, but they've never had an energized dad. And I get this diagnosis, and I'm like, man, there's, there's all sorts of emotions. It's like, why not earlier? Why not earlier? And... What is this from? There's different thoughts about the source coming from working several summers in Mississippi, uh, well water containment. I don't know. I don't know. Remodeling old houses. I've done a lot of that in my life. Um, but I don't know. And so it's like, finally, got a diagnosis, so let's start a detox program. And realizing that this metal is bonded at a molecular level, and so I start the detox one month, two months, I'm two and a half months in. It's like, okay, I'm going to hit a, a curve. It's like the stuff's getting out of my system, so energy's going to return. And it hasn't worked like that. It's like I feel awful for two and a half months straight. I feel flu-like symptoms, GI trouble, uh, major, major fatigue. My feet burn, probably from the gallium coming out. And I say, what? Why? And at the end of the day, I still ask, Lord, please heal me. Please help me keep up with what I can keep up with. I seek. Lord, you're good. I know you're good. Your promises are in Scripture. And I knock. There are times where my knuckles are bloody from knocking so much. But no answer. But there are answers. And I think, Lord, what have you done in my life in the last 11 years? I'm not the same man I was 11 years ago. I, I stand here more boldly than ever. A lot of insecurity has been whittled away. A lot of things in this life that I thought I had to have to be successful have been stripped away. I know the kingdom has advanced in my life. And I don't know where I'd be apart from this suffering. I don't invite it. But God is good. And I have seen the kingdom advance in small ways around me, in my community. 
And so I will continue to ask, I'll continue to seek and continue to knock because I know God, he is good and he's not forgotten me. He's not forgotten my family. He placed me in a community here where I'm embraced, flaws and all. I got the best pastors in the world to work with. I got the best people supporting me in this congregation. Understanding, love, and co-laboring with me. And that's what I long for as a community, that we can come together and say, hey, let's bear one another's burdens. And it gets to the final point. Why should we ask? And Jesus gives here what seems to be a, a pretty interesting illustration for them. Or which one of you, it says in verse 9, if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? And I can imagine just like, hey, you know, you being sinful parents, you know how to give good gifts, right? God isn't sinful. He's perfect, all wise, all powerful. All benevolent, all goodness flows from him, infinitely joyful, but yet he grieves with us when we grieve. This is our God. If you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask him for fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. But many of us would say, I'm not asking God for anything. He's just going to give me a stone. No way. And so much comes back to our view of God. What is our view of him? And I think uh, being a pastor here for 12 years and doing teaching, coaching, other ministry for years before that, thinking through what is one of the biggest hindrances, if not the biggest hindrance, in the Christian life? And so often we find that it's someone's view of God. And we do correct views of God in our, our head. We look to the scriptures. We say, who is God like? What's his heart? What has he done in redemptive history? Look at the heart of Jesus, and it's like, everything you see Jesus do, that's the Father's heart. When he embraces the prostitute, when he heals the leper, when he is going to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, that's the heart of God. Inviting, inviting. But we have also head views. We got heart views from our life experience where we've been wounded, where we may have had parents that said, don't knock on my door at night, no matter what. And so you come to knock on the door with God, and you're like, I don't want to bother him. And that's not an explicit head view, but there's something in your, in your soul that just rattles around. It's like, ah, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to ask. Or I have asked, God doesn't hear my prayer. He'll hear, hear their prayer. He'll hear, <laughs> I'm going to keep on going. He'll hear their prayer, but he's not going to hear mine. And if he does, he's distant. He's disappointed. He's an angry, abusive father. He's ready to hit me with lightning. Or he's my genie in a bottle. I'll ask for anything I want. Those aren't proper views of God. And as we share our stories with each other, and we, we love each other, and we embrace each other, we're pictures in a small but real way of who God is. As we embrace each other, as we encourage each other, as we remind each other of the truth, and we see transformation as we soak in God's word and say, Lord, 
Transform me. Open your word to me, Lord, but open me to your word as well so that I can be transformed as I walk with you and talk with you. The gospel writer in, in Luke, the good doctor, who was a co-laborer with Paul, he shares a parallel passage with us. Some of the words are different in the passage. And in my imagination, just even thinking about Jesus teaching for three years, preaching for three years, that he would bring sermons out because he knew that people needed to hear them. Sometimes he'd tweak some things, just like from first service to second service here, I tweak some stuff. And, uh, and I'm not even Jesus, but that's what happens. But he, he says a few things that are different in this Luke 11 passage. And as we've been studying the Holy Spirit, it was, we've been studying prayer as pastors, as uh, Pastor Greg Allison has been just, in many ways, blowing us away with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and going to depths that we didn't know we could, we could reach and feel like we're just getting a little bit more underneath and we're going to keep on going. But this passage, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to good give good, give good gifts to your children, listen to this, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So in Matthew, He says, how much more will the Father give good gifts to those who ask? And in Luke, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We can draw the conclusion that God gives good gifts, all sorts, but the greatest gift of all is Himself. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That the mystery of the hope of the gospel is that Christ is in us and we are in Christ, the hope of glory. And that He has broken every barrier for us to approach Him. And we come boldly before the throne of grace. An illustration we've used for years, it's like if I put a sign on my door says, do not disturb sermon preparation. Nobody bothers me. But if my kids come up to visit, guess what? They bust on in. Why? Because they have open access. I can put the sermon down. Let's go hang out. Let's do life together. And God has invited us to that. Jesus gave us a sacred symbol and I want to remind you the name of it, because sometimes we hear the name so often, it's like we forget what it means. But this is communion. Communion. Within that is, is union. We are communing with the living God. And Jesus' body was broken so that we could live in communion with God. His blood was shed to seal the new covenant. Sealed. Nothing can break this. Body broken. Blood was shed. And we stand here today as believers, precious children of God, that the Father delights in His children. And He says, come ask. Come. If you, you ask and you feel like you're not getting answers, seek me. Seek my face. Seek my face. And when you seek and nothing seems to be found, knock. Knock. And it will be. It will be given. It will be answered. It will be opened one day. And if you're a believer here, I'd invite you to come and break off a piece of the bread, dip it into the juice or wine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, this is not something to participate in. The scriptures teach against that, but we're so thankful you're here.
and ask you to keep on coming back and engage with us. Let's talk about who Jesus is and what he means and what he's done in our lives. And as we sing, I would just encourage you, even as you walk forth, that maybe there are some things that have been blocked in you where you say, I'm not going to ask anymore. I'm stopping seeking. I'm not going to knock. Ask for help. Lord, help me ask again. Renew my heart. Your body was broken. Your blood was shed so that I could be with you now and forevermore. And let's ask. Let's pray together.